Alright, still looking at the book of Job. We've been through chapter 1, starting chapter 2 today. Um, I know it's uh, it's a slow process. That's just the way it works. Uh, so far in the, in the first chapter of Job, we've seen that the... The true nature of Job's devotion to God was questioned by Satan in the beginning. It was it was then tested at God's allowance, um, and this faith was proven to be genuine. Um, nothing happened that was out of God's control, or you know, apart from God's will, and so. Uh, Every external blessing that Job received from God was removed in the space of a few minutes. And uh, the the main thing that we need to see is that Job did not sin by blaming God at this point in, uh, in the, the beginning of the book. Job's livelihood, his prosperity, his household, um, and all, all his children were taken from him in, in one fell swoop. And yet his faith and devotion to God remained unchanged he um he he was unmovable in his um in his uh blamelessness before god before um even you know when uh when he had every reason to uh, wonder what was going on uh satan the one who had accused job of of loving the blessings of god more than god himself was um in the first chapter proven wrong um, if this were the end of the story, we might assume that Satan would slink off to some dark corner and, and pout in the midst of his defeat. Yet, as believers, we know that, that uh, that's, that's not how Satan operates. Uh, he'll, he'll wait for more opportune time. When he fails with one temptation, uh, you can rest assured that he'll return with a different kind of bait on the hook next time. And if, if you don't like this, this bait, he'll bring, you know, he'll bring something that you do like. And, uh, uh, he never he never goes away in this life anyway he never goes away completely um, he'll uh, he'll come back at a more opportune time chapter two chapter two of job begins uh, in much the same way that uh, chapter one started once again we have the council of the sons of God um, and they're convening before God and once again they're reporting about their ministering activities as they roam to and fro on the earth. Um, verse 1 and 2 say in the text, it says, Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. Verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down upon it. Um, what we see here is almost word for word the same as in chapter 1. Once again, Satan is going to and fro throughout the earth investigating uh, the humans and seeking whom he may devour. We know that from Peter in the New Testament. And uh, once again, God is almost the exact, um, once again, God in almost the exact same words brings up Job's name as one whom Satan ought to take a look at. Verse 3, uh, the Lord says, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. And here's God adds this, And he still holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to ruin him without cause. I, I, uh, I really love this part. When... When Satan returns to the counsel of God in defeat, 
having been you know, unable to tempt Job to curse God and having been proven wrong about his accusation of the man, God makes sure to remind Satan of his failure. Uh, when I read the text, I get a picture in my mind of a proud father who, who has just seen his son succeed over a powerful enemy, um, and filled with satisfaction and joy, knowing that his child is, is victorious. The same picture brings my mind to the ultimate victory of the father's true son. Um, that's Jesus Christ who overcome death, hell, and the grave by giving, giving himself as a sacrifice on the cross uh, and being raised from the dead, I, I may be, I may be drawing parallels where they're they're not warranted. But Jesus did say that the whole of the Old Testament spoke of him, and I can't help but see uh, this central work of God in the history of redemption. You know, throughout the story of Job, um, I also see that God takes responsibility for what happens happened to Job. He says uh, in verse three, it said, and he still God's talking about Job. He says, and he still holds fast. To his integrity, although you incited me against him. It wasn't um, God, uh, you know, here plainly states that it wasn't Satan that uh, caused these things to happen. It was Satan that incited God to cause these things to happen. And we are fortunate because we have the, we, we can see behind this, the picture we can see behind the scenes job has no idea what's going on all he knows is that god is in control and that these things are happening um, but we can see that god is not displeased with job in fact god is very proud of job and yet these things are happening to job if 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 uh job had the information that we have at the beginning of this book, you know, he may think differently as we move through as we move throughout the the pages of the book. Um, we're here right at the beginning, seeing all these things happen to Job, and and more will happen to him. But we already know that God is pleased with Job. God is is uh, Job is is found the grace of God. He is he is blameless before God, and once again, not because he's sinless, but because of his faith and his devotion to God. Um, we see that, and yet all these things have still happened to him, and it's because uh, what it says here in verse 3, that Satan incited God against Job to ruin him without a cause, to test him. Um, enduring suffering and, and holding fast, uh, holding fast to your faith in a sovereign God, it, it's pointless without the assurance of knowing that our sin is completely atoned in the person and work of Christ, um, as we go back and, and, and think of Christ, uh, Job here is a mirror uh, of uh, the Father's feelings of Job as a mirror of his feelings to Christ. Um, I, I can't stop thinking about that as far as the Father saying, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Father is saying that about Christ, and then the Father here doting over Job to Satan, saying, look, he's still holding fast to his integrity, even though you incited me. For, you know, without the death, the burial, and resurrection, there can be no such thing as, as redemptive suffering. That's why Christ is so important for us to keep in the forefront of our mind as we look at this, because Job is going through, um, Job is not suffering because he is being punished. He's not suffering because of all those things. His suffering is redemptive, if that makes any sense. It is, it is, um, 
it is causing him to grow in in the grace and the knowledge of of God. By the end of the book, he's going to have a more a a fuller understanding of God and and who God is and how God works. And of course, the three friends that come and and counsel him, they're going to have a fuller understanding as well. And our suffering today is is uh, is much like that. Many times we suffer not because. Um, you know, not because, oh, God is punishing me for this or that. If you're a believer, your sins have been atoned for. There is no punishment. Uh, Romans 8, 1 says there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Um, and so what we do see, though, is that we live in a fallen world. And that's not to say that God is not in control and God's up there going, man, I wish that wouldn't have happened. But it is to say that the suffering that we endure is suffering that makes us more like Christ. It is it is designed for a purpose to make us more like Christ, and that's why I see Christ all throughout the pages of of the book book of Job. Um, without the cross, there can be nothing but wrath and condemnation from a holy God. Uh, sinners can have no hope of being vindicated in any way, shape, or form unless they have the righteousness of God Himself imputed to them. Um, we they must we must be perfect, and then and the only way fallen man can be perfect is the perfection of Christ is added to his account. Um, uh, this right here is the most amazing truth of Scripture that God could look down upon a wretched sinner who is an enemy of God, is an enemy of God's righteousness. And through the blood of his son, he could see that the sinner is absolutely perfect in his sight. Um, it's it's amazing. And what's truly amazing is that nothing can ever change that. God looked down at Job, noting his integrity of faith, and it seems like he is just rubbing it in Satan's face a little bit. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know why that strikes me, but I like that. Um, God said that Job holds fast to his integrity even after Satan unleashed his attack upon him at God's allowance here. Um, man, it's just amazing to me. What's on the inside will always show on the outside. Job trusted God and Job's faith was manifested when suffering and everything came. But... Uh, Unfortunately for Job, and we'll see this, that Satan isn't giving up so so quickly. Uh, in the same way, in chapter 1, he responds to God's gloating over Job with another challenge. In verses 4 and 5, it says, Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has he will give for his life. However, put forth your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh he will curse you to your face. The first thing Satan does is downplay Job's faith. God holds up his integrity. Satan kind of downplays his faith like, you know, uh, it's not really that big of a deal. Isn't that just like a sore loser? Satan says, well, it, it wasn't really that much of a trial for Job. I wasn't playing my entire hands, what Satan's saying. By using the phrase uh, skin for skin, um, the Satan is actually accusing Job. Again, he's saying that that man will trade all that other stuff that was taken from him to save his own skin. As long as Job is getting away with his life and his health, uh, 
Satan is saying that it, you know, it's not really a true test of faith. Um, the proposition that he's making is simply this. Would Job trade his own skin to keep his faith? Um, Job's already proven that he loves God more than he loves his prosperity and his wealth and his family. But does Job love God more than he loves his own life and health? Mm, as I think about uh, as I think about the question, I'm reminded of a few people I've known uh, that passed away at a very at very young ages from disease. Um, in fact, I live about 50 miles from Memphis, Tennessee, where there are two large children's hospitals, Labonner and St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And as you walk through those halls and see floor upon floor, room upon room, filled with children, some of whom are suffering from diseases that seem like they're just, you know, freak occurrences of chance. Um, now, now, we're not talking about 60-year-old guys here who, who smoked all his life developing lung cancer. I mean, that's bad enough, but we're not talking about that. We're not talking about someone... You know, like me, who's who's 41 years old, pretty much lives on red meat and fatty foods, um, and later in life developing heart problems. You know, that's that's one thing. Those things are easy to explain. You know, you eat you eat like that all your life, and you know this is what's going to happen. But what we're talking about here is is children and teenagers developing leukemia or Lou Gehrig's disease for no no apparent reason. I mean, they didn't do anything to cause this. It just happened. Um, and to think about such things is hard enough. And as I sit here thinking about it, my mind is drawn to my own children being sick. Um, but, you know, this is not what we're really talking about. We're, remember, Job has already lost his children. But that's bad enough to think about that. But But what about me? What about you? What if... This very day, you find out that you have an unexplainable condition that's going to quickly bring about your death. You ever put yourself in that place before? Think about that for a second. Even more disconcerting, what if, what if you have a condition that's going to permanently remove your health in such a way that you'll live a long time, but incapacitated as an invalid or paraplegic? The easiest thing in the world in that moment is to cry out in anger against God. We all know that we're not. We all know um, that we're not supposed to, and we know that we're to trust God in every circumstance. First Thessalonians five eighteen. You know it says, "In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus." I know. You know. I know. I know. I know. I know. I got it. I mean, that's the advice that. You would give someone that's that's it's fact. I believe it. I'm I'm sure you believe it. But in reality, way down the pit of your gut, we think we deserve a healthy life, don't you? I do. I think you know it would manifest itself. It would manifest itself if I'm angry at God. Because of something that's happened to me, it means that way down somewhere in my heart, I believe I don't deserve that. But if I am truly a sinner, truly saved by unmerited grace, I should understand that I deserve nothing. So the question is, what would you do if tomorrow you woke to the fact 
that uh, you know you you would be denied a healthy life. Hmm. Once again, God takes up Satan's challenge. God sees the heart of Job and knows that he belongs to him. He knows that Job is is fallible and just a man who um, you know is subject to all the failings of humanity. But but he. He also knows that greater is the one in Job than the one who's in the world. So in verse 6, it says, So the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your power. Only spare his life. Uh, Here's another, it's another reminder of something we need to constantly be aware of as we're going through the book of Job, which is a very difficult book. Satan is operating under the authority that God has given him. Satan is not free to wreak havoc in the lives of God's people in any way he sees fit. Um, I know this is a hard truth for some people to understand, and the misunderstandings of it are widespread. But if anything, um, and I mean anything, comes into the life of a believer, it's because God has allowed it for a purpose. Uh, I get a little tickled when I think about... uh, the gospel singers I have seen who cry on the stage and, you know, they talk about the devils attacked them and made them have a bad day or caused them to have a flat tire or whatever, you know, whatever. Um, I, I can remember being in a church where, you know, a singing was taking place and a lady finished her song and, and went into this big speech about how the devil came and attacked her that afternoon at, at 3 o'clock by having her appliances mess up in her house while she was trying to do things and, and different things were getting in the way of her coming to the church that night in order to sing her song and you know she said it was like at 3 o'clock and, and then just a little while you know a few songs later uh, another lady talked about the devil having attacked her at the same time causing her you know like to doubt or to fear or something like that and 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 i just sat there thinking all right come on guys the devil couldn't have been at both of y'all's houses at the same time so uh, the devil isn't god he isn't all powerful he's not all knowing he doesn't have the authority to do anything that god doesn't allow and so sometimes I, i think we give him a little bit more credit than he's due about the things that happen to us so now I, I'm not saying I'm not saying believers aren't ever under spiritual attack. In fact, I think the New Testament teaches that the, the exact opposite. You know, it commands us to put on the armor of God in Ephesians six, um, and and Paul also plainly plainly states that um, we don't war against flesh and blood, but spiritual wickedness in high places. So, um, you know. Uh, I'm not denying any of that. What I am saying that is instead of focusing our attention on the power of our enemy to destroy and wreak havoc, we should be focusing um, our attention on the power of God to work all things for good for those who love it. You know, Romans 8, Romans 8, 28 still holds true regardless of what battles we experience. The, the point is this, um, what is God trying to teach me? How, how is he trying to grow me to be more like Christ? We battle our enemy for a reason. And that reason is to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So even when we are in the midst of spiritual warfare, whether we win or lose a particular struggle, we are already victorious in the war through Jesus Christ. And the battle 
itself is a means God uses to build us into the people he would have us to be. So why focus on the enemy's power to do what he does when the reality is God is using the enemy and his power to grow us for a purpose for our good? So it just seems like our focus is is really off on spiritual warfare. Um, We do engage in the battle, and it is a struggle. It is a fight, and we are fighting against principalities and, and wickedness in high places. But our focus is not on, oh, no, there's a spirit coming to attack me. Our focus is God is in control, and he's working all things, including the struggles, for my good. Um, verses 7 and 8 shows, show us um, exactly what Satan's scheme regarding Job begins with. It says, Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a potsherd, talking about Job, took a like a shard from a pot to scrape himself while he was sitting among the ashes. Remember, he had put ashes... Uh, on himself when he, uh, you know, when he was mourning. So, so think about this for a minute. Job has lost everything he loves on earth. He has absolutely nothing, and he is sitting in the dirt, mourning, grieving, and worshiping God. That's what it said. And all of a sudden, boils start forming on his body. Like, can anything else happen? It, you know, we're not talking about just a few. Here and there, you know, we're talking about his whole body covered with them from the top of his shaved head to the bottom of the soles of his feet. I don't imagine these things were like little pimples either. They're large, ulcerated, inflamed spots all over his body, which itch and burn uncontrollably. This is, it's so bad that in order to get any semblance of relief from the irritation and the, the, the itch of them he has to take a, a a shard of pottery and scrape himself so so okay try to imagine first of all what it would be like to have these boils all over your body you know including places that you can't reach like the middle of your back and then then think about the only way to get relief is to scrape at these boils with sharp shards of of pottery um man imagine the the absolute mess that scraping your skin with this pottery would make of Job's skin. As he scratched the boils with the shards, itching would quickly turn to pain as they burst and the skin tears, but there's no there's no relief from the misery of the sickness. The more he scratched, the more he clawed at them, the more they hurt, the more they damaged the skin. Uh, eh. Wow! At this moment, I, I can't, I can't imagine Job thinking his situation could get any worse. Not only has he lost everything, and not only has his health been reduced to a grotesque form of, of humanity, but now, with this putrid skin disease, he would also be a complete outcast among all people. Uh, you know, no longer would people have company with him. No longer. Would they allow him in their presence? From here on out, Job is nothing more than a leper. He's got a skin disease. He 
began, remember in chapter 1, as the greatest men of the East, and now he is as low as a person can possibly be. He has absolutely nothing to his name. He has also lost his health, and he has lost um, the the status even of being human because uh, with a skin disease uh, of multiple types, they just labeled them leper. You know, they didn't, they didn't pick and choose what kind of whatever they had, just labeled them leper. He was outcast. So Job is suffering unimaginably. And um, here we're going to see another character enter into the drama. Job's wife makes her first appearance at this point. To make sure to turn the knife of Job's suffering. Um, Verse 9 says, Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, fellas, no matter how attractive it may be, we can't take this as a passage talking about how we're not supposed to listen to our wives. They just like to turn the knife when we're down. Um, There are many examples of godly women in Scripture who... You know, have a heart to seek and serve God, but but here Job's wife is is definitely not such a person. Um, it'd be very easy for us to talk about how evil and wrong she is. It would be easy for us um, just to use her as, as an example of how not to be. Say, don't be like this. Um, and uh, you know, of course, the the point of the author is to do just that. Don't be like her. But I don't think we can escape the force of what she's feeling right now i mean remember so far she also has lost everything just like job uh when job's finances and prosperity disappeared so did hers when job's livelihood was taken away hers was too she was now just as poor as job likewise she had also lost all of her children and we're not told how she dealt with all this tragedy as we are with job You know, this is really the first time she enters into the picture. From this passage here, we see that she probably hadn't handled it it very well. Definitely not in the same way that Job has. Um, Now, after, after she has lost all this, she's watched her husband grieve, mourn, begin, and begin worshiping God. And uh, as she stands there watching him worship the God who gives and the God who takes away, He's stricken with boils. They start coming up on his skin as he's sitting there worshiping God. So you can imagine how horrified she is that now her husband suffers the most humiliating thing that could happen, most painful thing that could happen. Not only is he suffering from the pain of the sickness, but but now she's married to an outcast. She's married to a leper. She's... uh, no longer would they be anything but an outcast of society. No more feasts, no more money, no more anything. No more even help from other people. They were outcasts. And you can see how all this is going through her mind. And this is all happening in the, in the blink of an eye in an instant. And as Job sets out saying, you know what? God gave, God take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord, and he worships. When he gets down on the ground to worship God, boils start forming on his body. Now, of course we know she's wrong, but you know it's easy to see why she reacts in such a way. Because of the way she responds, I think Job may have just continued worshiping God as the boils formed 
And he began, you know, scratching at them. Can you imagine such a thing as this? All this pain and torment, and he worships. And even as these putrid sores form all over his, you know, whole body from the soles of his feet to the top of his head, he continues worshiping. And when she sees this, that's just the last straw. It's just it's more than she can take. She cries out, why are you still holding on to your integrity? Uh, Doesn't mean why are you still holding on to your sinlessness or your goodness. It's why are you still holding on to your faith in God? Why are you still standing fast um, in your trust in God? Why are you still being faithful to this God who's caused you so much anguish? You have suffered more than any other person has suffered. And now there's nothing left in our lives but pain, suffering, and rejection on the way. Not only do we have nothing, but we have no hope. Why don't you just curse God so that he will kill you? Now, in her mind, the final judgment of God would be easier than going through all of what they're going to have to go through. Man, that, my friends, is a frightening proposition. To be so far down the road of despair that there's no hope of anything but death is frightening indeed. Uh, but, of course, once again, Job refuses to sin against God. Verse 10 says, But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and not accept adversity? In all this, it says, Job did not sin with his lips. Job remains steadfast in his thinking. He he still understands that he does not deserve anything from God. He understands that, that God is the one who has given him all the good that he had including his health, and he understands that God has every right to remove those blessings if he sees fit. Um, Job's wife and children never asked any questions when they were getting good things from God, you know, when they were having all their feasts and all those things. But, But now that the bad things are coming, they're crying out, Why? Why, God? This goes back to what we've been talking about in earlier lessons. We we live every single day under the mercy and goodness of God. More often than not, we don't experience dreadful and painful suffering on a daily basis. Um, but we often forget that the only reason we don't is because God is good and merciful to us. He doesn't owe us anything, but gives us good things for the most part of our lives. We have health. We have things that bring comfort. We have family. Even if you don't have all the things that Job had, you have a myriad of blessings from God, um, uncountable. But let one tragic thing happen and we begin blaming God. Why are you doing this to me? Basically, we charge God with injustice. God, you are supposed to do good to me. I deserve it. And in reality, we should be experiencing tragedy and wrath every moment of every day. But for the most part, we get God's goodness in this life. We're spoiled. We're spoiled to the goodness and we think we deserve it. So when and if it is taken away, we mistakenly think, well, that's not fair, God. You owe me goodness. Why are you doing this to me? I often tell a story that uh, illustrates this point. When I when I was a child, my mother used to take me to the little department store across the street from our house every day. Every day we would go to the store and every day she would buy me this little something. Uh, some days it would be a little toy. Other days it would be candy or something. I don't remember any of this. This is from her recounting the story to me. 
Um, but one day as I as I got a little older, she told me we couldn't afford you know anything on that particular day. But by this time, I thought I deserved something from the store. For for me, it had always been just a way of life. You know, we go to the store and I get something. I'd never known anything different. I thought that's just the way the world works. So when I was denied that, I thought it was unfair. And she said I followed her through the store screaming, How could you do this to your only son? Um, you know, it's it's kind of a funny thing. But, it, uh, you know, she says it wasn't very funny at the time. But it illustrates the point because in the same way we think we deserve goodness and blessing because that is most often what we receive from God. The day God withholds any amount of goodness or blessing from us, we cry out to him charging him with unfairness and evil. Job understands this and scripture says that in all this he did not sin against God with his lips. And he scolds his wife for taking God's grace for granted. Um, the one thing that destroys Christian contentment and peace in our lives more than any other thing is when we forget that every moment we receive comfort and blessing from God is a gift which we are not owed. And when suffering comes, uh -huh, and it will, we are getting what we should have been getting all along. But the suffering we receive from God is not punishment as for our sin if we're a Christian because Christ died for that punishment. For believers, suffering is for our good. And it's meant to build us into who God wants us to be. It's redemptive suffering. Indeed, God may be, he, you know, he might be, you know, he might be disciplining us with suffering um, when we sin, but... It's never to punish, it's always to correct and bring us back into the path of righteousness. So, the point in this section, I think, is that even here, when all is taken away, Job understands something that so many of us don't. Um, he understands that that he doesn't deserve anything from God and that God is righteous in what he does. Um, now, as Job, as the suffering continues and is unrelenting and and then his friends come and then they start talking nonsense about God, Job is going to begin to question more and more as the suffering goes on and on. But, but here we see that there is a peace about Job, even in the midst of the hardest suffering. And that that's because he knows that uh, that God is good and God is still active and God is working and God has a purpose. You know, it's easy it's easy for us to say that when we're not the one going through something. I I can imagine people listening to this that are going through tragedies saying, "Yeah, that's that's easy for you to say sitting where you're sitting." And they would be right. It is easy for me to say because at this moment I'm not going through horrible suffering. I haven't lost any loved ones, um, you know, as of late. And I, I mean, I, God is God is good to me, and I'm I'm a blessed man. But um, there will be a day when I do. There will be a day when suffering does come, and it's important for us to get this foundation under us before that day comes, because once the day arrives, um, it'll be. It'll be harder to swallow. 
it'll be harder to swallow. So let's get us let's get that this foundation of theology up under us and make it be our foundation for when those days do come. Because even if we know this to be true, and we do, those days still won't be easy. They still will be hard. They still will still go through grief. We'll still go through pain. We'll still it's not it's not a magic wand that makes all that go away. What it is is a rock. It's a foundation that we can hold on to in the midst of any storm.